following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. You better believe it. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 is where we're going to be this morning. So this past uh, Friday evening, we celebrated Good Friday here. And celebrated is uh, probably a bit of a unique term when you think about what happened on Friday. But the fact that our Savior Jesus Christ willingly laid down His life for us. That no man took His life. No government took His life. No physical ailment took His life. But He willingly gave up His life for us is something that we should indeed celebrate. Right? Church, the mere fact that your Savior, your King, your Master... The God of the universe would look upon our miserable estate and say, I want them. And he would come. That is something to celebrate. What a joy that Jesus lived perfectly in our place, died in our place as the perfect substitute before God. That Jesus truly did drink every drop of the Father's cup of wrath that should have been for us so that we who believe in Christ don't ever have to taste one ounce of that wrath. What a gift, something to be celebrated. So we left Good Friday at the crucifixion scene with Jesus giving up his spirit to his father and breathing his last. But today, today is Easter Sunday. And in The Christian tradition, we call this Resurrection Sunday. And on this day, we celebrate the historical fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead by the power of God. It's funny, Christmas uh, Christmas is down one day every year, and it never sneaks up on you, right? I mean, it starts sometime after the 4th of July, right? (laughs) July 5th rolls along, you go to the fireworks stand and get your discount fireworks, And then you go buy your Christmas tree. That's about what happens this time of the year. Christmas never shocks you. It's on the same day every year. But how many of you, when you do your planning for the next year, do you like type in Easter Sunday? I have to do this because I'm planning for Sundays. I type in Easter Sunday 2023 as an example to find out when it is next year or when it is every year because it just sneaks up on you. And while both events are remarkably important with Christmas and Easter... I would suggest to us that Easter is a tad different. Easter is a celebration of Jesus' resurrection from the dead by the power of God. Men don't rise from the dead without divine intervention. It doesn't happen. And yet Jesus went to the grave on Friday, and he was resurrected from the grave on Sunday. A tad different feel than Christmas. Christmas... Is a time we celebrate that Jesus followed many through the womb. Resurrection is a celebration that Jesus led the way out of the tomb. 
So this morning, I want you to stand with me. We believe in standing up and down here because we like calisthenics. We like for you to be in good shape. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8 is what we're going to read this morning. And then we're going to pray after the reading of God's word. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were, they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, for us to understand and believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead takes the power of God to open our eyes to this truth. And so this morning... Would you open our eyes and our hearts to the wonder of Christ being raised from the dead? Would you elevate our affections for Jesus? And would you transform us to live lives that honor you in this world for the glory of God, the advancement of your gospel, and the good of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue? So, Father, bless the preaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My voice is a little scratchy this morning. Uh, The Good Friday service got me, and then the the five-run sixth inning last night got me as well, right? (laughs) And then preaching the early services got me. So uh, you're the last one, so I'm going to let it rip. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. Now, one of the intriguing things about the book of Mark is that Mark is banging one note throughout the entire book. And his note is basically this. Jesus Christ is authentically, truly the Son of God. The book of Mark is like a mosaic, right? You know what a mosaic is where you take little pieces of tile or or something and you begin to form a picture. And what Mark does is he does something fascinating. It's throughout the book, Mark is giving us portraits and pictures and little pieces that fit into this story of Jesus being authentically the Son of God. You're going to notice something fascinating when you read the book of Mark, is that Mark uses a word over and over again. It's one word. It's the word immediately. From chapters 1 through chapter 14, Mark uses that word immediately 35 times. The last time he uses that word is in Mark chapter 14, verse 72, right before Jesus goes on trial and right before his crucifixion scene. It's as if Mark is saying, let me show you all these portraits of Jesus and I'm going to leave the sinner, I'm going to leave it there. And then Mark slows the story down just to say, now, 
Let me drop in all the last tiles. So you can begin to see the story of Jesus. One of the centerpieces of Mark's mosaic is found in Mark 15, 39, when the centurion who oversaw the crucifixion and was an eyewitness to the crucifixion declared these words about Jesus. Truly this man was the Son of God. It's Mark's way of saying, okay, we've laid out all these portraits of Jesus. Now let's put the last pieces together so you can begin to see this story. The crucifixion, and as we will see, the resurrection are indicators of what the centurion declared to be true. That Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God. So on Easter Sunday, we're going to turn our attention to Mark 16, 1 through 8, and we're going to look at the victory of the resurrection. Now, if you were early enough and you got a bulletin, because if you were late, you didn't get a bulletin because we ran out of them, right? Uh, you should have a bulletin. On the bulletin, there's, a, there's an outline. The outline will lead you through a few things. Number one, it'll tell you where I'm at in the sermon, and number two, it'll tell you when I'm going to be done, all right? So you don't have to check your watches. You can just kind of follow along as we go, all right? So the first point in the outline is the evidence of the resurrection. As we leave the crucifixion scene of Good Friday, we are told at the end of chapter 15 that the same two Marys who were at the crucifixion also saw where Jesus had been buried. Chapter 16 begins by mentioning these two same faithful women once again. See, because of the haste of Jesus' body being taken to the tomb, his body was not properly prepared for burial. Usually, according to Jewish tradition, they would thoroughly clean the body and they would cover it and anoint it with spices. So these women came on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, or came after the Jewish Sabbath to anoint Jesus' body. So Mark's gospel, Mark 16, has taken place on Sunday, the first day of the week. And as they came to the tomb, notice what they saw. They saw that the large stone had been rolled away. Jesus was gone. And an angel told them that he had risen from the dead. Now in Mark's gospel, Mark gives us two physical evidences to reveal to us the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. You'll notice the first physical witness is the two women. We see these women mentioned over and over again in Mark's account of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You'll see it in chapter 15, verse 40, chapter 15, verse 47, and chapter 16, verse 1. Because Mark, the author, has been building a case, like a good legal case, to declare that Jesus is truly the Son of God, he finds it remarkably important to give us eyewitnesses to the accounts so we can know for certain that these things did take place. Now Mark lists these two women in the very spots where there might be some doubts. He lists these women present at the crucifixion. He lists these women present at the resurrection. And you'll notice these exact locations might be where some of you might have some doubts. So what Mark does for you, if you're a non-believer or skeptical of Christ, is he gives you some eyewitnesses to declare to you that these things really did take place. There were eyewitnesses to the scene. Be no different if you were in a court of law and something had happened and they brought in witnesses to declare what they had seen. Mark is doing the exact same thing. 
Mark points to these women to tie in the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, tie them all in together. Because each scene in Mark's gospel is important. Their presence at each location in this journey reveals there is no mistake in the events. These events really did take place, and these two women have been put at every crucial point along the journey to reveal these things did indeed happen. There are important references and important physical evidences to the reality of the resurrection. But there's also another physical evidence that's listed, and it's the stone that's listed in this scene. You're going to find something interesting. This stone plays a prominent part in Mark's gospel. It's mentioned in chapter 15, verse 46, to make sure that we understand that Joseph rolled it against the tomb. It's listed in chapter 16, verse 3, when the women were concerned about who would roll the stone away for them. And it's listed in chapter 16, verse 4, as a stone being rolled back, and that the stone was very large. So we have witnesses, eyewitnesses, but we also have the fact that this stone's been rolled away. Now, Mark uses these physical references and physical evidence to show us something. The resurrection did indeed take place. It really did happen. But we not only have physical evidence, I want you to know something else. We have divine evidence. We have evidence from heaven telling us that Jesus was raised from the dead. The the first divine evidence you're going to find in the text is the angel in the tomb. It's very interesting that Mark uses a very nonchalant word for a young man. It's like a young man you'd see every day. Yet the reaction of these women reveals it was anything but nonchalant. Would you agree? I mean, they saw this guy and they literally freaked out. The angel tells him something fascinating. He says, do not be alarmed. That phrase, if we were to put it in, you know, Dave York paraphrase is, do not be so afraid that you wet yourself. Don't be terrified. Don't be scared to the point of distress. These women were shaking in their sandals at what they saw. This was not a hallucination. They were clear-headed, and yet they were scared to death. The angel's presence was a divine evidence that God was doing something miraculous and something remarkably important. See, if you're a Bible reader, you're going to know something about what God does when he's going to do something important. In the Bible, many times God would send an angel before we had his word to begin to declare to the people what was going to happen. God sent an angel to Abram to tell him he would be the father of many nations. God sent an angel to Daniel to declare to Daniel that the time of exile was about to end if Israel would repent and turn to Christ, turn to God. And he sent an angel to Mary telling her that she would conceive a child, conceive a child by the Holy Spirit and she would name him Jesus. So this divine messenger, this angel at Jesus' resurrection fits right in line with God speaking about his miraculous work. This angel is divine evidence. But there's also another divine evidence, which is probably the best one of all. And it's the fact that there's no savior in the tomb. Jesus is not there. When these women entered the tomb, the angel told them that Jesus was no longer there because he'd been raised from the dead and even invited them, come in and take a look. Come see where they've laid him. Another eyewitness account by Mark. And the angel said to them, the one who was crucified, 
He has risen. He's not here. In other words, the angel is connecting the entire scene of crucifixion to resurrection, meaning these ladies were actually standing in the place where the crucified Savior had been raised from the dead. He's not there. The divine evidence that Jesus is not in the tomb is, a, is heaven declaring to us the king has come. Now listen, word, words cannot express, right, what this moment would have been like for these gals. I mean, can you, ima- can you literally imagine what this would have been like? We cannot imagine what this is like. I, I heard a story years ago that I think might give us a picture of this. It was a story of a funeral that a friend of mine went to when he was a young man. He was an older man, and he grew up in the hills of the, of the American South. And at that time, when somebody died, you didn't embalm their body. But rather what they did was they strapped, when they put them in a, in a pine casket, they then strapped their body down with strings to keep the body from moving because of rigor mortis, right? The, the joints settling in. And they would always have an open casket funeral. Just a couple days after the person died, they'd do it quickly. So at this funeral service they had, the place was packed. He remember sitting in the balcony as a young boy. One of those balconies went all the way around the building. And in the middle of the service, the strings came untouched, and the dead body sat straight up in the casket. And he said to me, Brother, it didn't take 30 seconds for that place to empty out. (laughs) So while we may not comprehend what happened in this moment, I I think that gives us a picture of what these women might have gone through. See, when these women leave the tomb, we can completely understand their fear. So you understand, while they might have been worshiping in their hearts, I guarantee you they were scared to death. The text tells us this, that they left in haste. They didn't tell anybody because they were afraid. And what's intriguing about the Gospel of Mark is at that moment, Mark ends his story about the resurrection. It's abrupt. He stops. Mark has sped us to get to the crucifixion, to the resurrection. He's then dropped in the last tiles for the mosaic, and then he just does this, spins it around for us to look at and say, what do you see? See, Mark's abrupt ending, I believe, is on purpose. And I believe he left it silent on purpose. Because he wants us to ask some questions about what his mosaic is displaying. His mosaic has been saying, Jesus is authentically the Son of God. And as he spins it around and says, do you see the Son of God crucified, buried, and raised? Now, listen, what do you do with him? See, what do you do with him? That's our last point for the day is the implications. The implications. Because... Really what Mark's gospel does to us is he speedily, it's the shortest gospel, as he runs through the story of Jesus and he gets to the resurrection and he turns it around for us to see, yes, he is indeed the Son of God. I think Mark says to us, so, so what does that mean that Jesus is authentically the Son of God and what does it mean that he's been raised from the dead? Well, the good thing for us is that we're not left with silence because the Bible gives us some indications and some implications about Jesus' resurrection. And the first one that I want you to notice is 
the resurrection declared Jesus to be the Son of God. Romans 1.4 makes this declaration about Jesus, that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Mark would be really happy that Paul wrote this. Because Mark would say, ah, Paul, you read my letter. You got it. Jesus is indeed the Son of God. The resurrection is Mark's crescendo moment. It fits perfectly in declaring that Jesus Christ is authentically the Son of God. One of my favorite stories in the book of Mark is in Mark 4, when the, God, the disciples are on a boat and there's a huge storm that rises up, and Jesus, they shake him and say, do you not even care? Are you going to do anything? And he gets up and he says, peace, be still. And the, the, the winds calm and the storm calms down, right? We all love that story. What's fascinating about that story is in that moment, when Jesus calmed the storm, the Bible says, and the disciples became exceedingly afraid. The Son of God who calmed the storm was more terrifying than the storm. What Mark is saying here, what Paul is saying here is fascinating. That one who stopped the storms, the one who fed the needy, the one who healed the sick, truly is the Son of God, but but listen clearly, not because he did those miracles. He is the Son of God because he has been raised from the dead by the power of God. And notice Paul's words that he says here. You cannot miss this. That Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit of God or by God himself. Meaning this, the God of heaven proclaimed with a loud voice, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased and he is my Son when he raised him from the dead. In other words, let's just be straight about this. It doesn't matter if you or I declare that Jesus is the Son of God because the God of heaven has declared him to be the Son of God. What great news that is. He is the Son of God whether or not you think he's the Son of God or not. There is no other display that declares Jesus to be truly the Son of God like his resurrection. That is the most important implication. So let me ask you, do you agree with God that Jesus is indeed the Son of God? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? See, because if you're not a Christian, somebody who hasn't trusted that Jesus is the Savior who's come for you, the King who is seated as the ascended Lord over all things, this resurrection moment should just at minimum, cause you to step back and pause. And just consider, what do you believe about this Jesus that Paul has, that Mark has displayed to us? Because if you don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Bible would say that you, right now, would be an enemy of God. That you're separated from God. You're unforgiven of your sins against God. And you're a target of God's just wrath and justice. And listen, I would plead with you, our church would plead with you to put your faith and trust in Christ, to confess that he is indeed the Lord, that he's indeed come, the one who loves you, who has lived for you, who died for you, and who rose again for you. 
We would say, turn, turn to Christ. But listen, if you're a Christian and you say, I, I do believe those things, let me ask you a question. What impact does the risen Son of God's life have on your daily life right now? From the moment you wake to the time you go to bed. What impact does he have in the way you interact with your spouse, with your friends, with your children? With the way you do entertainment and amusement? With the way you go about your life? What impact does he have? Does he have control over your business dealings? Does he have control over the way that you, you handle your neighbor when he throws his trash cans in your yard? What about those irritating people in your life? Does, does he have control over you with those things? Because, listen, if... If it's true, which we've seen, that Jesus is declared by God to be the Son of God by being raised from the dead, it should, and it would, and it should motivate us to make the same declaration. He is the Son of God. He is the King of all things. That means He's the King of me. He's the King of you. Overarching all the implications of Jesus's Resurrection is that Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God because He was raised from the dead. But His resurrection is also a beacon of hope for those of us who put our trust in Jesus. That we've been set free from our sin. See, because of Jesus' resurrection is our second implication that we've been raised to walk in a brand new way. We'll see this in Romans chapter 6. See, in the death of Jesus, our sin is forgiven by God. And what that means is, if you believe in Jesus, God no longer counts your sin to your account. You know what that means? It means that you probably count your sins against yourself more than God ever counts them against you. So all the sins you think of that you regret, God chooses in Christ to remember them no more. How good is that news? Right? How wonderful is that news? And what this means to us, if we've been forgiven by God, it means that our sinful nature has been rendered powerless by the resurrection of Jesus. See, our sin, our rebellion against God no longer has power over us. We don't have to obey our old sinful master anymore. Something happens when we put our faith in Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead. Romans 6 says, like Christ was raised from the dead... We are also spiritually raised to walk in what he calls newness of life. Meaning we can live in a brand new way. That means the old man dies. The old sinful nature dies, but a new man has been raised. The old sinful power is defeated, but in its place, a new person in Christ has been raised. A new power, the power of God, is at work in us because we can walk now in a brand new way by God's power that he's raised up in us. This would mean that because Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, sin's power over us is defeated. The power of our new life in Christ becomes now our controlling master. What's fascinating is Romans 6 shows us what this new life looks like and what this new life empowers us to do. Notice verse 8, it empowers us to live with Christ. Notice verse 11, it empowers us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. 
Notice verse 12, it empowers us to not let sin dominate us any longer. Notice verse 13, it empowers us to present ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness rather than presenting ourselves to sin, to, uh, to, to sin as slaves to its power. Do you see all this activity of this new power working within us? It's this new power from God that's helping us fight the battle against sin regularly in our lives. It's this empowering to die daily to the temptations that we face every day of our lives to disobey God. And it's beginning to raise up in us new affections before God to no longer love sin, but to love God and to be alive to what he wants. Now, listen, I I get it. We're all Christians. Most of us are Christians here. And we wrestle with this question. Look, man, my sin is killing me every day. I give in regularly. It could be anything. It could be addiction. It could be. It could be anger, it could be pride, it could be um, immorality. You name the issue. And we feel defeated by our sin. It feels like it's impossible. You, you might feel hopeless in your daily struggle with the presence of sin. But, but listen, this hopelessness is met by the incredible work of grace found in Christ. Romans 8.11 says this power at work in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now just listen to these words as Paul wrote them. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch this? The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is the new power that's at work in you as a child of God to help you overcome the daily struggle with sin. The Holy Spirit, who made a dead man live, is the one who helps us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is the same one who gives us the ability to make ourselves and give ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. I mean, listen, you may think, look, man, dying to my sin is impossible. You don't even know what my sin is. I don't have to. Because, friend, listen, God did not give you a power that is incapable of helping you. He gave you and me as a child of God the presence and power of his spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus to life so that we can live in a brand new way. See, that's why the resurrection transforms us. It changes us. Our old man is crucified with him and rendered powerless because a new man empowered by the Holy Spirit, is alive within us, helping us overcome our daily struggle with the presence of sin. And the Holy Spirit stirs in us a desire for God's glory, a passion to worship God, a willingness to obey God, and it stirs in us a whole lot of new inner affections for God. Let me give you one biblical example of this that's found in the book of Mark. Joseph of Arimathea was a very conflicted man. He had one foot in the Jewish ruling council demanding that Jesus be put to death and another foot in being a follower of Christ. He's not much different than many of us. We have one foot in the world hanging out with non-Christian friends and doing the same things they're doing. 
And we got one foot in being a, a desire to want to follow Jesus. And we're conflicted by it. It eats at us. But look at what happened to this man after Jesus died. Notice verse 43 that Joseph took courage and went to Pilate to ask for Jesus' body. And you might say, why would Joseph need to take courage to do this? Because Joseph knew the moment that he asked Pilate to take Jesus' body to his tomb, he would be aligning himself with Jesus. And to align himself with Jesus, Joseph knew all of his influence, all of his friendships, all of his business associates, all of his reputation would be at best challenged and at worst lost. Yet because Jesus died, Joseph went from being conflicted about Jesus to having courage to go to Pilate about Jesus and risk all that he was as a man. What's fascinating about Joseph of Arimathea is that historical traditions tell us that Joseph was more than likely arrested by the Jewish leaders that he went to that knew that he took Jesus' body. And after he was released from prison, he more than likely became a remarkable influence for bringing the gospel to Great Britain. And the reason why we are sitting in America in a church listening to the gospel is because a man like Joseph of Arimathea took courage to go to Pilate rather than be a coward. Because the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus transformed one man, transformed a man. And I think that provides remarkable hope for us. Because of Christ's power at work in us, we are transformed, friends. We can go from being secret saints to courageous disciples. We can go from having one foot in the world to being firmly secure and following Jesus. And that only happens because the tomb is empty and we've been raised to walk in a brand new way. The last implication finally is this. The resurrection of Jesus reveals to us that the grave has lost its sting. Christian, I hope that you're aware that Jesus' resurrection assures, assures you that your physical death on earth is not the end of your life with Jesus. Paul wrote it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the forerunner, the trailblazer into resurrection for us. And because of his victorious resurrection, we as his people are assured of the same glorious resurrection to eternal life. And listen, that should cause you to rejoice. But it also should cause you to check yourself. Because if your inner affections are not changing and your desires for Jesus are non-existent, listen, I, I, I must, as your friend, as your pastor, as somebody you just come to listen to with a family member, 
I must ask you to consider what you really do believe then about Jesus if you're not changed by him. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ and not put your confidence in Jesus, listen, death will have a sting. It will. The grave will bring a resurrection for you to the reality of the wrath of God. And this world is the best you will ever experience. That's why, that's why we beg of you. Listen, it's too much at stake to not tell you to put your trust in Christ. To repent and believe in Jesus. But Christian, listen, the resurrection of Jesus tells us that this world is the worst we will ever experience. God has things planned for us that go beyond what we could ever ask or think and even more than we can even imagine. He has provided a champion, a savior who has tasted the sting of death for us and came crashing out of the grave to eradicate that sting. So you will never taste that sting. So you, you can say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your sting? You know where it is? It's defeated by the life of the Son of God. That's why we as Christians on Easter Sunday, we say, oh praise Him. Oh praise Him. Because Jesus has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, we turn our attention to you because only you, through the power of your spirit, can open our eyes to the truth of Christ. And I pray for my friends here who have come, who might be watching online with a family member at their Easter celebration, and they have not put their trust in you. And I pray that you'd open their eyes so they might believe in Christ. And if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to speak to God and tell God that you believe that Jesus has come for you. Tell God that you confess that Jesus is Lord. And tell God that you want Jesus to be your Savior. And Father, I pray for my Christian friends who claim Christ, yet they have seen in their lives over the last weeks, the last months, the last years, hardly any affection for Christ or the things of Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would turn them to you once again. Help them to repent, to confess their sin to you, to believe that you indeed are the Christ and let their lives be dominated by the King of Kings. And Father, we, your people, say thank you. Thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you for approving of all that he did in his life and death on our behalf. Thank you that our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. 
Thank you that our hope is secure. Thank you that we have an inheritance that is eternal. Thank you that the grave does not have a sting. Thank you that the day is coming when we will meet our Lord face to face and you, because of Christ, will say, well done. Enter in, enter in. All because you raised Jesus from the dead. And we, your people, say thank you. Open our eyes. Inflame our affections for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.